We have a story to tell. People need to hear it. People need to be scared. And I'm, I'm really proud of that episode. I feel like we, we sort of spread some awareness because sometimes what a haunting does is it forces you to look in the mirror and get a little bit uncomfortable at what you see staring back at you. Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys Podcast, and happy Memorial Day if you're tuning in from the U.S. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I chat with Jeff Belanger. Jeff is an author of over a dozen books, fellow podcaster being the co-host of New England Legends, adventurer, and researcher for the Travel Channel series Ghost Adventures. At his core, Jeff is a storyteller. Between his series New England Legends on PBS and Amazon Prime, and his latest book The Call of Kilimanjaro, finding hope above the clouds, Jeff has no shortage of stories and culminating experiences, whether they're his own or a glimpse into the folklore, history, and legends of New England. Like with the last episode with Travis King, I want to give a quick shout out to Walt at Walt's Kitchen Table who got Jeff and I connected to begin with, so make sure to check out Walt's podcast after giving this episode a listen. Jeff and I's conversation ranges from where his interest in the paranormal first began, to his first paranormal experience, and how Jeff ended up at the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa, which led to his latest book. Among the many other things Jeff and I talk about, we both recognize the importance of how every interaction or experience, big or small, shapes our viewpoint and how we perceive the world. And this conversation with Jeff is another experience I'm so thankful that happened in order to share with all of you. With all that in mind, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Jeff Belanger's journey as an author, adventurer, and explorer of the unexplained. All right, so Jeff, welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. And first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me today. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you, Eric. Yeah, for sure. Now, there are so many amazing things that you do, but in short, you're an author of over a dozen books, fellow podcaster being a co-host on New England Legends with Ray Osher, plus you're a storyteller, adventurer, and overall explorer of the unexplained. Can you start by explaining where your interest in the unexplained first began? So I grew up in an old New England town, And from a young age, I remember friends telling me that their houses were haunted. And that wasn't so unusual. I mean, I I know that might sound sort of jarring to some people, but like I had a a kid down the street who lived in a house that was built in 1760. And if you think about it, we weren't even America when that house was built. We were England. (laughs) And so he's like, yeah, you know, sometimes people see things. I had another friend that said, yeah, this old guy lives in the house with us and then he's gone. I'm like, what do you mean? You know, (laughs) and so (laughs) we'd try to have the sleepovers and would break out the Ouija board. And I was just intrigued at the notion that maybe there's something more to this because it wasn't like some like Hollywood version of the ghost story where there's blood dripping out of the walls and people are scared and they're running away. It was just matter of fact, eh, Mm -hmm. we see someone else from time to time. Don't tell your parents, they'll think we're crazy. (laughs) So it sort of started from there. And then I grew up with Ed and Lorraine Warren from the the Conjuring movies and things like that. They lived in the next town over from me in Monroe, Connecticut. And so I knew them since I was a teenager. And so I'm, I'm sure seeing their October programs also had some influence. The idea that, wow, people actually go looking for this stuff. They wrote books, they gave presentations. And I'm like, this is amazing. So I was just intrigued. And then I went to school to be a writer and started writing for newspapers and magazines. And around October, you go looking for these kinds of stories. No, I love that so much. And to your point, yeah, the whole New England area just has so much history. We were just talking in the pre-recorded conversation about I was just in Boston just a month ago, and I always get so 
caught up in just the history and the overall energy of that whole area. I mean, it never gets old to me. Actually, one of my, my yearly routines when I go out there to run the Boston Marathon is to drink at the Green Dragon just because it's it's such an old historic bar. And it's just not something you see typically in the Midwest area where I was born and raised, you know, in the Lansing, Michigan area. But yeah, it's it's such a historic area for sure. And yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I think we have, a, we have a sort of a, there's a culture of preservation around here where mm-hmm. If you buy a house on some of the main streets in our small towns, and this is true throughout New England, uh, if it's a historic home, you can't paint it any color you want. (laughs) You you might have Mm -hmm. to get it approved by the town (laughs) because they want to preserve the historic look. You can't, you know, when you buy the house, you're told like, hey, if you want to like put in neon lights or something, you can't because there's this sort of this nature of it. And, And we're a hibernating culture. You know, our winters can be pretty rough. Of course, Michigan, you're no stranger to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so you you hibernate, you you sit around the fire, you share stories, you listen to the house house creak, and and I think all that sort of plays into this notion that when you drive down some of our streets, that's exactly what this town looked like 200 years ago, with mm-hmm. you know a few less Dunkin' Donuts than now, not many, <laughs> not many less, but a couple. No, that's that's so true. I mean, yeah, I think that whole culture is similar, and just a sense of just sharing stories and whatnot, and. I guess going back to that experience, I guess, of your friend's house when you were a kid. Now, did you actually see this person that he nope. claimed to? You didn't? Okay. Nope. <laughs> I did not see my first ghost until 2003. Okay. So I had already been <laughs> writing about them for years, and I took a very journalistic approach. You know, I'm a journalist. I, I want to mm-hmm. be objective. I had interviewed a lot of people for my website and for projects I was working on about their ghost experiences. And I think I got to the place where I would say, well, I believe that you believe. I don't think you're lying. You don't seem... Mm-hmm confused or whatever. And anyone who thinks like you're just cashing in on a story, I mean, two or three people ever cash in on their paranormal story. The <laughs> the 99.99999% you don't get a dime. Uh, if mm-hmm. anything, you get held up to some sort of ridicule. You know, there's people that are worried about losing their jobs and things like that. Not as much today, because I think the subject's a lot more out of the closet than it was a few decades ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I started with this, people were like, oh, I could lose my job if someone hears that I think my house is haunted. And today, because of so many reality shows and documentaries and podcasts and websites and books and so on, I think it, people understand, hey, it's okay to, to talk about this, which, which is the only thing I've ever preached. I'm not trying to convince anything that anybody that, that something's real or not real. I'm just saying, let's talk about it because we're all going to die one day. And these stories have a way to sort of unite us, which is pretty cool. And no, I agree with you completely. I think the whole paranormal world is is much more, I guess, ex, I don't want to say accessible now, but it, it's a lot more, there are a lot more platforms for it now than there used to be. I, I just can't get enough of it personally. I, <laughs> I listen to any podcast I can get my hands on and watch any documentary or any sort of series and just, it just never gets old for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's, um, and by the way, like it's modern that all these shows are out there. However, people have been talking about ghosts and haunted places for literally thousands of years. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're in religious texts. There's a cultural understanding of it. There's a word for it in every language. You know, when you say mm-hmm. ghost in any language, people understand what you mean. Someone who's gone but seems to still be here. Yeah. So the simplest definition to me anyway of what a ghost is, is that it's a connection to the past. It's the mm-hmm. past coming to the present. And for some people, that's quite literal. Like there's grandma. Grandma had died a, a year ago, but she's here right now. Mm-hmm. Or it's maybe it's metaphorical for some people like, oh, Gettysburg is haunted because these battles took place there and because all these people died. And we need to remember what happens when this country gets really divided. It needs to haunt us. 
No, definitely. And you mentioned it briefly a little bit earlier too about that paranormal experience that you had. Was that was that in the catacombs in Paris? I was listening to some other interviews on you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, that was it. That's that's Perfect. where it all changed for me, yeah. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and sure. if you've had any other profound paranormal experiences since then? So it was 2003 and I was in the city of Paris and uh, I wanted to check out the catacombs, which is Mm -hmm. this network of tunnels beneath the city. And they go back. I mean, you know, Paris, Paris's history dates back literally like 2000 years to when it was a Roman outpost. And there's so much great limestone and a lot of the building materials are limestone. As the town turned into a city, you put the cemeteries on the outskirts and that's what they did. But over centuries, you know, the city sprawls out and the outskirts aren't the outskirts anymore. So around the 1700s to 1800s, these tunnels that they had dug to get to that limestone were collapsing in some cases because the city was getting dense and heavy and the cemeteries were full. And so they emptied the cemeteries and brought all the bones down there. And so I'm there alone getting down, you know, like it's like 30, 40 feet below the city and it's so quiet and you just hear like the drip of water coming through the limestone. And and I'm walking around and I see this doorway that says in French, stop, this is the empire of the dead. And as I walk through, there's just millions of human skeletons all around me, just in a very macabre pattern, you know, just rows and rows of skulls and bones and arm bones and leg bones. And they're right there. I mean, you can touch them. They're not behind glass. It's nothing like, <laughs> you know, it's it's called the Musée de Catom, right? It's Catacomb Museum. But at the same time, you can touch the skulls. And it's, and it's not like there's docents or anything all around you watching you. It's the strangest thing, especially when you're you're there alone and you see this skull and you just sort of like push your finger out and you're like, dare I touch this thing? Right. And then <laughs> you look around and no one's going to and no one's going to see you if you do it or don't do it. And you just you just like you, you almost have to. Right. You just brush your finger against this skull and you're like, that was a person. It was a human being. It takes your breath away. And as I'm walking down this one long hallway that if I put my arms out in both directions, I would be touching skulls on both sides. That's how wide it was. Not very wide. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I see this man. It was a shadow the size of a man just steps out from one side of the hallway and goes to the other and then back. And I just froze because I was like, oh, wait a minute. I was alone. And there's someone right down there. My first instinct is not ghost. It's like, well, maybe someone's down here with me, but no one came from behind me. That would have been impossible. Mm-hmm. And then I thought there's a side tunnel up there for sure or something. And I keep walking and I look and... There's nothing there. It's just a straightaway to the end. And I said, if that's not a ghost, I don't have another word for what it is that I saw. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while to sink in. You know, it's one of those experiences where I'd interviewed hundreds of people about their ghost experience up to that point. And I, like I said, I believe that they believe. But mm-hmm. suddenly their experiences got a lot more real to me because I went, oh, they're just like me. I'm not psychic, I have no magic powers. I was just there when it happened. The analogy I like to use is it's like a lightning strike. Lightning strikes all over the world, you know, many hundreds of times a day. And uh, it's just usually not right nearby you when it happens. But once in a while, you know, you're looking out your window during a storm and zap, right? It it, it hits the backyard that close. And I think that's kind of like what the ghost experience is. Once in a while, lightning strikes and you see it. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great analogy, honestly. And I mean, speaking from personal experience, I didn't really have my first paranormal experience for a while later. But I feel like I 
approached it the same way you did almost to where it's it's almost like you're trying to process it or trying to debunk it in your head and just naturally thinking, well, there's got to be an explanation for this type thing. And then it just sinks in or you, you just can't really have an explanation for it. And that's when it really sinks in. Like, I think I just witnessed something, you know, paranormal or something that I truly can't debunk or explain. And that's when it's just so powerful. And you just, at least for me anyway, it just piques my curiosity even more. And then it just gets me even further down the rabbit hole. And I want to know more about it. What did you experience? So I actually live in my grandparents' old house, and my my grandpa actually passed away in the house. So my brother actually stays in, or he sleeps in my grandparents' old bedroom. And it's a constant reoccurring experience to where his light will turn on on its own all the time. It'll turn on on its own, or the fan will turn on on its own. And at first I would just think, well, we must have just forgot to shut the light off or something, or it's just some sort of electrical malfunction or what have you or something and i just chalked it up as that for the longest time but then there have been so many instances to where i'm home alone i'm sitting in the living room and at the time the way i was sitting in the living room i could see his room from the hallway to make to set up the scenery even better i'm just watching a scary movie by myself or something and (laughs) out of nowhere i'll hear his light click on and i'll physically see it click on i'm home alone and it's like i don't have an explanation for this and it, it, it happens constantly it still continues to happen Several times a week, I'd say. <laughs> and, and so that, that's the thing that's so intriguing about a haunted home, right? Is that we know mm-hmm. our homes, whether you live in an apartment, a building, uh, a house, whatever. You know the nuances of your house very quickly. I mean, when the, mm-hmm. you live somewhere for just like a couple of weeks, you know, brand new house. In just a couple of weeks, you're like, oh, this stair always squeaks when I step on it. Mm-hmm. In <laughs> uh, cold weather, this wall ticks because that's where the hot water goes through and, and it makes a tick, 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 ticks. You know, you learn mm-hmm. all the very, you know exactly what it sounds like when someone walks in the front door, walks, walks, walks to the kitchen, puts their keys on the counter, walks, walks, walks to the, you know, living room or whatever. You know those sounds. So we also know when sounds or events are off. You're mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, sounds don't ever come from there. You know, not unless someone's there, someone's walking and you look and you're like, I'm the only one in the house. How could that be? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you've turned the lights off or whatever. And, and, and if it happens once, you're like, OK, I must have just I must just be forgetful. I must have mm-hmm. left that light on and forgot about it. But when it happens second time, third time, fifth time, you know, you start to say, <laughs> all right, wait a minute now. You know, and that's the thing about the ghost experience is that it's often really subtle. And that's what people forget is that they expect the Hollywood movie or even the ghost mm-hmm. hunting show, you know, that it's just nonstop horror, scary music, strings, you know, hands grabbing you out of the wall. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. Weeks can go by, months can go by and nothing happens. And you just start to relax going, maybe, maybe it's not haunted anymore. Maybe whatever it was is gone or maybe I imagined it. And then it happens again. And the whole thing sort of gets recharged. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, I th- I think everyone kind of naturally has that thought in their head that it is like that Hollywood experience to where it's just a constant, you know, you know when you see it type thing or you see an apparition or something like that. But those instances are a lot more rare than just some of these subtle instances where the light turning on on its own. Like those are a little no bit more No one would live common. in a house like that, right? Like, so that's the funny yeah. thing. I'm like, look, <laughs> I'm into this stuff, way into it. I've made a career out of it for decades now, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if I walked into a house and it was like, I'm going to kill you, you know, and like the walls are, are bleeding and I'm like, I'm out. I love this, but no way. I'm getting a hotel right this minute. You know, like I'm out, out, out because I'm in danger. And that's the thing. When you believe you're in danger, you must remove yourself from whatever situation you're in. And you mm-hmm. should never, ever. And by the way, this is a blanket statement across the board, across everything. Mm-hmm. You should never feel like you are in danger where you live. That's horrible. 
Like if you're oh, yeah. living with someone, a living person who's abusive and you're in danger, you can never relax. It's terrible. You have to get yourself out of that situation. But imagine it's someone you can't see. You know, imagine it's it's like you can't call the police. You don't you don't know who to call. It's you're just scared all the time. That's when these situations get really frightening. When someone doesn't feel safe at home. Mhm. Then, then we're talking about the stuff that does eventually get made into a movie. But the movie's an exaggeration. Show me one movie. It starts with based on a true story. And you're like, oh, that's about where it ends. You know what I mean? Because I've seen them all and I know them all. Amityville, Conjuring House. Like I've been to those houses. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't eat people. Otherwise, they wouldn't still be standing. Yeah, a, a lot of those, to your point, are exaggerations for sure. Now, um, I know you're also the the host, writer, and producer of the Emmy-nominated New England Legends series on PBS and Amazon Prime, plus the writer and researcher for Ghost Adventures. Now, is there a specific location, either within the scope of New England Legends or Ghost Adventures, that you're really drawn to? Oh, my God. So, I mean, <laughs> on, so on the television series, we're working on our second season now. The, the podcast, which is a companion to that, we've literally covered over 280 locations. Oh, wow. So far, and we do a new one every week. And then Ghost Adventures were over 200 locations as well. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, it's just at any time in my head, there are hundreds and hundreds of haunts swimming around, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and so it's it's tough to to pick one. I resonate with a, with different locations for different reasons. Mm-hmm. With Ghost Adventures, there was a place we did, and I think it was season two or three in Spring Hill, Pennsylvania, called uh, Penhurst Asylum. The episode Jeff is referring to is titled Penhurst State School, and it's season three, episode two. Definitely give it a watch on Discovery Plus if you've never seen it. Oh, yep. And it's an old abandoned asylum. And if you've ever watched Ghost Adventures, you know we've, we've done our share of old abandoned asylums. And so when I started working on it, I'm like, ah, I, I know the drill. You know, we've, we've done these before. I start to dig in, and then I found there's a federal law related to Penhurst about how you can and can't treat people with mental disabilities based on the atrocities that took place inside those buildings in the 1970s. Hmm. I'm going to say that again, just so there's no confusion. The 1970s, (laughs) right? Not hundreds of years ago, like a couple decades ago. So we started digging in and we started talking to former patients and former doctors and nurses and learning that, I mean, people were kept in kennels. People were kept uh, chained to their beds you know, all day. They weren't even allowed out of their beds because there was no staff to deal with it. And a doctor said something that just chilled me. Uh, I still get chilled when I think about it. And he said, as soon as you think of another group of human beings as something less than yourself, there's no limit to how poorly you can treat them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God. And so, you know, this is one of those places that haunted because it should be, because we should be haunted by what we let happen. Even if you don't live anywhere near, you know, outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, even if you, mm-hmm. you know, were, were two years old at the time, we lived in a country where that was allowed. And I don't want to live in a country where that's allowed. Yeah. I mean, these are the least of our people. You know, these are the people that need the most help. And they were treated so poorly. They, the Penhurst would tell people when you dropped off your, your disabled, you know, sister, cousin, child, whatever, don't call, don't visit, don't write. It'll just disrupt the routine. Trust us. We're the pros. Mm-hmm. Your, your daughter's going to be fine. Your son's going to be fine. And people trusted them. And they were brought inside and they were not treated well. People who were bad, got worse, and they weren't given the opportunity to really even live. You know, some of them just survived. And it, it's it's awful. And so this is one mm-hmm. of those buildings that I was like, you get there and, and it just feels like the buildings have a story to tell. And I can't mm-hmm. stress how not psychic I am, but that spoke to me where it was like, no, 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 no. We have a story to tell. People need to hear it. People need to be scared. 
And I'm, I'm really proud of that episode. I feel like we, we sort of spread some awareness because sometimes what a haunting does is it forces you to look in the mirror and get a little bit uncomfortable at what you see staring back at you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so powerful. And I mean, to your point, I worked in the mental health field for years and we have come so far in that field uh, compared to what it used to be. And I would watch those episodes of Ghost Adventures or any of those other shows where they'd go to an asylum or something like that. And I just get sick to my stomach when they talk about the treatment of some of these patients in that in those days. And it's just... Yeah. And to your point, I think raising awareness to that and scaring people in that sense truly is important. So we don't repeat the same mistakes, essentially. And of course, we will repeat them because we have and that's what we do. Mm -hmm. We repeat history over and over. <laughs> but right. what's amazing to me, too, is that when a location is haunted, that's not I have. I mean, I have nothing to do with that. It's not haunted because I say it's haunted. It's haunted mm -hmm. because the community says it's haunted. You know, people I mean, the only reason I hear about it is because someone talks about the story. They share the story with someone else, and eventually it gets across my desk in some way. And mm -hmm. then I get intrigued enough that maybe I want to go there. Or, or, you know, we go there and film ghost adventures, or we do a podcast about it, or we film New England Legends there, whatever it is, or it ends up in one of my books. You mm -hmm. get sucked in by that story, and you want to know more about it. And in doing so, you become part of the story, which is the reason that our, all of us are so intrigued by this. We want to see that, that ghost. If we can see something that we believe is a ghost or a spirit, you get that big question answered for you. You know, is there life after death? Mm -hmm. And if you see a ghost or what you think is a ghost, that's it. Game, set, match right there. You're, that's <laughs> that big question, you know, that, that this stuff does matter, that it's not just this fleeting life and it's over, that there is more to it. And, and it's a really huge discussion. It's a discussion that leads people down religious rabbit holes. You know, I mean, there's mm -hmm. all these various world religions that are more or less centered around dying. Think about it, right? All mm -hmm. of them are, are like, well, you, you, you got to come to us because one day you're going to die and then that's forever. And so how do we prepare your soul for that? There's people that spend their whole lives waiting, you know, following their religious doctrine because they think they're going to die and well, they know they're going to die. And then mm -hmm. what comes after is they want their just reward. Mm -hmm. That's where things get sticky, isn't it? You know, we can yeah. talk about ghosts all day and people will be like, all right, cool. I, can, I like a ghost story. I don't believe in them, but I'll listen. Right. And that's fine. It's totally. No, it's cool. I'm not. Hey, I don't need you to believe or disbelieve. It's all right. You know, like mm -hmm. if you just appreciate the story, that's fine. Uh, or maybe you've had an experience like you have, Eric, where you're like, oh, no, I do believe because I've, I've seen and experienced some weird stuff. I get mm -hmm. it. Um, but if we were to say like, hey, let me tell you about my religion. Let's let's go into great detail about why my religion is the right religion. You'd be squirming. You'd mm -hmm. be like, no, 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 please, please, please. There's no chance we're going to agree on that. Mm -hmm. You know, like we could both be Southern Baptists and we're still not going to agree. You know, mm -hmm. like yeah. we're, we'll, we'll still find things we're divided on, you know, even though we both attend the same like denomination. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. That's that's what divides us. But these stories have stuck around in some cases longer than some religions have even existed. And we talk about them because we understand the power of story and the power of of sharing the profound from one person to another. There's, that's so powerful. It really is. And I, I like that parallel you did too with, with just religion and just the whole idea of being focused on the afterlife, what happens after death. And ghost stories, essentially, we're trying to answer the same questions, but it's presented in a much different way. You know, I feel like some people may be more apt to hear a ghost story than they would about hearing about <laughs> your religion. And that's a, oh, that's a very course. interesting point. <laughs> The, there's a Mexican proverb I've been using for years. It was actually in, I think it was in that movie Coco, they, but I was using it longer, damn mm -hmm. it. <laughs> but but the, it's, it's, it's truth is truth, right? So the proverb is that we all die three deaths. And mm -hmm. the first death is when your body expires. 
And the second death is when your corpse is laid into the ground. But the third and final death comes somewhere down the line, and that happens when your name is uttered for the last time. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's that's such a great definition of a ghost, too, because there's a reason that our ghosts only go back maybe a couple centuries. You know, like most of, you know, we don't hear about Roman soldier ghosts so much mm-hmm. because we're just not that connected. We've let them go. Civil War, sure. That's still relevant. You know what I mean? Like that's, we still have Civil War sites preserved and, and that, that's, that's sort of, and it's far enough away that we can talk about it objectively. Mm-hmm. If a horrible tragedy took place just recently, last decade or two, that ner- those nerves are still raw. And though I have no doubt that those locations, and I'm sure everybody's got some coming to their mind right now, <laughs> I have no doubt that one day we will talk about those locations being quite haunted. It's sort of crass to do so too soon. Even though I, I, I don't think of it as like spirits trapped, right? That's one of the problems that some people hear that and they go, how dare you imply like those souls are trapped here earthbound? And I'm like, I don't think that's how it works. I don't know how it works. I'll be the first to say, but I don't think that's how it works. And the reason is I've been looking at haunted locations for 25 years now, and I've never found a one that's haunted all the time. That the ghost mm-hmm. is always there. Otherwise, I would have bought it and I'd be charging you money to walk in and see it. A lot of money. I'd be crazy rich. I'd be Mm. like, Eric, I want to show you this ghost, but it's 50 bucks to look. And you'd say, (laughs) all right. And then I'd open the door and you'd wave and you'd be like, wow, that was totally worth 50 bucks. And then I'd be like, thank you. Next. Right? Like, that's what I would do. (laughs) But because I can't guarantee that you're going to see the ghost, I've never found a place that's always haunted where the ghost is always there. So I don't really buy into the notion of earthbound. I do buy into the Mm -hmm. notion that Maybe these things are coming and going at their will, not ours, or mm-hmm. some will that's greater than ours. Or maybe it's almost like a movie sometimes that's just replaying over and over in a certain location. Mm-hmm. I don't have definitive answers, but from my experience, there are certain buckets that these haunts tend to fall into. A thought or a, a kind of quote or a saying is kind of coming up in my head as you were talking about all that is because, and I'm forgetting exactly who said it, but there are different theories out there too that say, you know, locations aren't necessarily haunted, people are. And yeah. it kind of, yeah, and it's it's so fascinating to me. There's so many mysteries surrounding this that, you know, so many questions we still don't have the answer to. And, you know, I've seen it all the time on different documentaries and ghost adventures, you know, on Ghost Adventures or another one of those shows to where they'll take different trigger objects in there to try to stir up activity. In case you're unfamiliar with that term, trigger objects are essentially items that are relevant to the time period and the overall environment of where the investigation is happening. The hope is that something might interact with one of these items and the interaction can be captured as evidence. And I unfortunately wasn't able to find a source for the saying, places aren't haunted, people are. I found several different people associated with the quote, or a very similar version of it, but it's hard to know who it truly originated from. Anyway, back to Jeff and I's conversation. Or some of the, sometimes the activity be really heightened and there are theories behind if it's an electrical storm, you know, like a thunderstorm, an electrical storm going out, if that charges the place or charges the energy around you. It's, it's all so fascinating to me. And, and to your point, there's no, you can never really predict when the activity is going to happen necessarily. There are situations you can put yourself in to make it more than likely able to happen, but it still doesn't guarantee it's going to happen. No, of course not. And that's, um, and, and I get that some people are more sensitive to it. You know, there are people that seem to be magnets for this stuff where they're just they're just more open and they, they'll see and hear and experience things more than the rest of us. Uh, others of us are really closed off to it and mm-hmm. they're never going to see because their brain is going to rewire whatever happens. 
And and that's their reality, right? By the way, I'm not saying you know they're wrong or whatever. It's just that's their reality is is what they know and what they see. But you know, there's lots of things that I can't prove to you. Like I wish I could put a ghost in a jar and be like, here it is. I'm gonna let it out. <laughs> but I can't. I, just, I if I could, I would promise. You know, but um, mm-hmm. but I can't. But I also can't put love in a jar. I can't put humor in a jar. I can't put pain in a jar either. And yet. I hope in your life you have experienced love and humor and pain. If you prick your your finger with a needle and I watch that, I could probably I'll probably wince and say, I bet that hurt. But you might have a really high pain tolerance and say be like, no, not really, right? And someone mm-hmm. else would cry like a baby and scream. But it was the same event. And yet mm-hmm. you had your, your definition of pain, discomfort or whatever is different than someone else's. And so we all have these emotional life experiences that we can relate to, even if we can't prove they're actually real. Like if you have mm-hmm. children and you say you love them, I believe you, but how do you prove it? Mm-hmm. And you can't. You just gotta, sometimes we got to just take our, our, our word for it. And sometimes we have to go on faith on some of these things. It, those experiences in particular are so hard to quantify to your point. And I feel like naturally as human beings, like it's so hard to remove bias from everything. I mean, it's, it's just because we have our own, I guess, viewpoints. We have our own experiences and that those subtle things play into all of our experiences, everything, the way we tell stories, what we experience. We all have our own vantage points that we speak from and they're all just different in some capacity. And that I, 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 oh my gosh, I could talk all day about that kind of stuff. It's well, all so yeah. fascinating to me. Well, sure. But that's, I mean, we're all, we're all using our, the tools that we were given that are, we inherited, you know, mm-hmm. every combination, that's your level of education, your exposure to religion, your, your, your upbringing, whether it was stricter or more open-minded, whatever, right? Like we all have this baggage that we carry around. And every time we encounter a situation, we go to that baggage to interpret it, whether it's mm-hmm. an awkward situation where you work, you know, some people hate confrontation for whatever reason. I love it. I can't explain why, you know, like <laughs> I just do. I'm a po- I'm a problem solver. So if someone's arguing, let me in. Other people just, you know, don't want to talk to folks. They, they need to like be alone or isolated. Others are extroverts. Others are introverts. Like we are all different for a reason. And yet we all have these experiences that we can't always explain. Uh, and you might, if it makes you uncomfortable to call it psychic, maybe you call it intuition. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're not uncomfortable with the term ghost or spirit, maybe you say you're overtired, and mm-hmm. uh, and maybe it was it was sort of like a, a waking dream. I you know whatever that's okay. It's up to you to interpret it. One of the things I've I've gone through for right from the beginning of my career is that people will tell me like I need to hear what you think of this story and like this thing that I experienced, and they'll tell me, and they'll say like so what is that. <laughs> as if I know, you know what I mean? And I, and I always got to be the first to be like, well, I don't know. I wasn't there. You were there. What do you think it is? <laughs> and if they say, I really think it's my uncle. He died, you know, six months ago. I felt like he was there for closure. And I'm like, that's, well, then go with that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that's, that's your experience. You know, you, you know, the environment you were in. I was not there for me to tell you that was not your uncle. That's, that's ludicrous. I have no idea. For me Mm -hmm. to confirm that it is, I can't do that either. I can just listen and say, hey, I've heard stories like that before. And I believe that we are connected to everybody we've ever met, friends, family, everybody. And that I don't think that bond necessarily ends the second that someone's heart stops beating. I think that that bond continues because we're all a product of, of, of not just our upbringing. We're a product of our everyday interactions. You know what I mean? You right now, Eric, are the sum total of every second of your life up to this moment and including this moment. 
mm-hmm. you know, like, so your parents probably had a big influence on you. I don't know if your parents were there from the beginning, but like whoever raised you, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a huge influence. But then also there's maybe the, the person at the coffee shop this morning that just said, Hey man, hope you have a great day. Here's your coffee. Like that's something that that's, mm-hmm. that's an influence on you too. And you're, you're the sum total of all that we all are. And so all those connections don't just end if you shuffle off this mortal coil today. They continue. They, they, you had an influence on the person that served you coffee, and they had an influence on you. And so I, I, don't, think we, I don't think we forget that instantly. It doesn't end. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm just weird for doing this or if everyone else does this, but once in a while I'll, I'll take a look at different, I guess, decisions that I made or experiences that I've had and break them down into how did I get down this rabbit hole? You know, why did I make this decision? And some of it's so fascinating to me and such a one-off random coincidence. Like just for example, there's this clothing company that I really enjoy called Vermont Flannel Company. And I wear their shirts constantly. I love their material and I order from the website constantly. How I first found out about it is I just randomly went to a coffee shop in Lansing. There was a barista with one of their shirts on. Said, hey, I like your shirt. Oh yeah, I got it from Vermont Flannel Company. It's I'd love them. I'd buy their stuff all the time. I don't think I ever saw that barista ever again, but I still continue to this day to buy from Vermont Flannel Company. Yeah. Just when you break down those moments and experiences and the culmination of all of it, it's, it's all just so fascinating how we can Got to where we are today. And that's probably partially the reason why I started this podcast. I just find it all so fascinating. So we're all interconnected. And, and the more we realize that um, we're in, interconnected through our stories, but also through, I mean, so that, that Vermont flannel you're wearing, mm-hmm. think about that, right? Think about how many people it took to get that on your back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Today, like that, <laughs> just that shit. Yeah. And I mean, I would submit to you that that would be millions of human beings that, that had a hand in your shirt. And if and, and so what you have to do is you have to go backwards. So maybe you, you bought it online, so it came through delivery service, whatever, maybe one of the uh, the carriers or the postal service, doesn't matter, but someone had to bring it to you. Mm-hmm. Someone had to build the truck that carried it to your house. Mm-hmm. Lots of people, not one person. I mean, someone designed the truck. Someone had to refine the oil that put the gas in the truck. Someone mm-hmm. had to grow the food that the driver ate. To, to be able to to <laughs> operate that vehicle and the gas and the truck. And and now we're, we're tens of thousands of people. And someone had to grow the cotton that might not have even been in this country. And someone had mm-hmm. to make the dyes. And someone had to put those dyes on a boat or a plane. And someone had to build those planes. And, you know, and, and all those people needed food grown by their farmers. And it, it, it spiders out into millions of people just to put the shirt on your back today. <laughs> That's how legend and lore works. Your shirt is the haunted place down the street. You know what I mean? Like it got there through a many series of steps with lots of people involved. It was not one thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think we need to understand about the power of story and lore is that it is a collective. And and we think of folklore as this old timey thing that that used to exist before the internet and phones and and mass media, but not at all. Folklore is as vibrant today as it ever was. It just moves a lot faster than it ever mm-hmm. has before. So 200 years ago, you would hear about a haunted building in town and you might tell someone at the tavern this weekend over a beer, you know? Mm-hmm. And that person might tell someone else a couple weeks later. Those people might tell people a, a few weeks later and then it starts to spider from there. And over the time and more experiences and decades, that building has a haunted reputation. Today, mm-hmm. you see a ghost at that old building and you put it on Twitter and it gets retweeted. <laughs> and then those people retweet. And by lunchtime, everybody knows about a new haunt that they didn't know about. So it's the same process. It's just 
you know, the, the technology's changed, but the actual um, functions of it haven't changed at all. You hear a story, you experience something, you tell someone, and the story spreads. There, there's so much that, get pres- that gets preserved just through storytelling alone. Speaking of which, uh, speaking of storytelling, I want to pivot for a moment to one of your books. So I, rec- I saw that you recently published a book, The Call of Kilimanjaro, Finding Hope Above the Clouds, which is, according to Josh Gates, host of Discovery's Expedition Unknown, an honest and affirming tale of embracing the unknown and the transformative power of nature. So can you talk a little bit about your overall experience at the summit of Kilimanjaro and what ultimately inspired you to write the book? Yeah, so I've been an amateur hiker pretty much most of my adult life. I I love just getting out into the mountains and stuff, but I never had tackled anything as big as Kilimanjaro, which for those who may not know, it's um, it's in eastern Africa, and it straddles the border between Tanzania and Kenya, just south of the equator. It's the tallest peak on the African continent. It's 19,341 feet, and it's a dormant volcano. Not extinct, just dormant. It's this mountain that sort of called to me for the longest time, but the impetus to go there was back in 2016 when my brother-in-law, Chris, died from cancer. He had he'd been battling cancer for two years, and during that time, he and I got a lot closer. And it was a few months after he died, and he was just a few years older than me. I was at a, a fundraising event, a paranormal one, and a friend of mine from the Leukemia Lymphoma Society had said, hey, we're doing this fundraiser. And I was like, uh, Amy, I'm really busy, uh, you know, but if I can help, I will. And she said, well, we're going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money to fight cancer. And I was just like, oh, Kilimanjaro. I mean, she didn't know that, that I, I took two semesters of Swahili in college. She didn't know that <laughs> like I'm a hiker and I've always wanted to do Kili because it's, it's, it's one of the seven summits, but it's also not a technical climb. You're not like mm-hmm. hanging by ropes. It's just if you can get your butt up there. I was like, yeah, I'm in. And so we trained and, you know, I raised money for Leukemia Lymphoma Society. I was put together with four other people from New England. We were all strangers to each other, all of us doing this for Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And it was incredible. took six days to get to the top, two days to get back down. We walked a total of 43, 44 miles during during those days. No hotels, no Wi-Fi. You know, it's just you and a tent and, and the mountain. And it was, as you get higher and higher, breathing becomes really challenging. And anything over 10,000 feet, I mean, you really start to feel it. And it just gets exponentially harder. And we went for the summit at midnight. We were starting at midnight because we had to get up there for like sunrise and then get back down and then get even further down the mountain. So it's going to be just a huge day. Around 18,000 feet or so, it's like 3.30 in the morning. You just feel like you can't go on. I mean, it's so hard to breathe. The analogy I use is if you ever take one of those skinny little straws you get at the diner, you know, to stir your coffee or your tea (laughs) or whatever, put that in your mouth and just breathe through that. And now go for a jog, trying to get enough air through just that little straw. And that's what it's like to breathe, except you got to keep going. And I was like, man, I don't even know if I can do this anymore. And by the time it was 6.30 in the morning, we had just reached the rim of the volcano And I turned around and I saw this sunrise that was just so profound. There's this huge sea of clouds way, way, way far below you. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. this is like what you see from airplanes, you know, like, but you're standing there looking way down at the clouds and the sun's up and it's glowing this golden color. And I I felt my brother-in-law, Chris, I felt him next to me at that moment. There's a word for the top of the mountain that the the Chaga people, you know, use. It, It means the house of God. I just felt this awesome presence around me that just was like, you're allowed here. You're worthy. You've passed the test. And even though the summit was another hour from that point and another 500 vertical feet, another like three quarters of a mile, like it was this moment of like, I'm going to make it. This is a done deal. Like no question anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was just by the time we touched the summit sign, 
It's like your body's this wet towel and you just wring it out of every possible emotion. You know, you're laughing and crying, sad and happy and everything all at once. It just all came out and it was just this cleansing experience and, and fighting for every breath. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget it. And it was just, it was so inspiring. I, I came home and, and I, I wrote it down in this book because mm -hmm. I, here I'm in my 40s. You know what I mean? You're like this midlife thing and you're like, I, I still feel like I can do big things. It was just so good for my body and good for my soul to go through and do this. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I, I actually saw the post you made on Facebook talking about your little clip from stories from the stage where you shared this experience overall as well. And oh my gosh, it's, it's such powerful stuff. Yeah, I, I thanks. Can, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the stories from the stage was it was just a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. PBS has this show where you just share personal stories. And so I got to share that one with them, which was great. And and as much as I love paranormal stories, I actually love all stories. Mm -hmm. And I think something really magical happens when we share, when we we sort of bond over these life experiences because it becomes very relatable and it makes us human to each other because yeah. we've we've gotten to this really rough time where we're just like everything's political you know everything's like i'm right you're mm -hmm. wrong you're on the wrong side of this and i'm going to tell you you're bad and dumb because of it mm -hmm. both sides are doing it and and but when you strip all that away and you say hey let me tell you about losing someone i cared about and then doing something big about it well mm -hmm. you're a person and they're a person like oh i've lost people too yeah tell me about it right let's talk about that shoot death is the great equalizer we are mm -hmm. all going to die one day guaranteed and so what we do between now and then well that's the rub, isn't it? Like, what's, what's, what's the legacy we're going to leave? Who are we going to haunt when we're gone? How will we be remembered? I, for one, want to be remembered. And that's maybe part of what drives me, too. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, to your point, storytelling is truly so powerful. And I was just having this thought the other day. Well, I actually have this thought all the time about the idea of legacy as a whole. And it's just so fascinating to me how, you know, you have these different individuals who die tragically at a young age, but their story keeps getting told over and over again. And in a sense, they're still alive just through the through storytelling and their, their legacy absolutely long lived the actual physical life they lived on Earth. And I find all of that so fascinating, too. We see it in everyday life, right? So to mm -hmm. me, like a legend is the thing that's bigger than the actual thing, which yeah. I, I know is very lame word choice for a guy who claims to be a writer. <laughs> but think of your favorite athletes, right? Think about legendary athletes, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, you know, like the, these, these people that they step on the court or they step on the, the football field, whatever sport they're playing, mm -hmm. and you're already scared. And the game hasn't started. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Because you're like, oh, that's Jordan. He's going to make me look like a fool. And, and, <laughs> and he's, already, he's already winning, and they haven't even warmed up yet. You know what I mean? I mean, that's how powerful <laughs> story is. That's the power of legend. Can you really oh, look, yeah. down, look down at him and say, you know, can you look down at him at all? Are you that tall? But can you look down <laughs> and be like, oh, I don't care who you are. Really? You don't care? I think you do. You know, um, and you're, you're wrong if you say you don't. Like, that's a legend. That guy's a legend. He wasn't always. At one point, he was a rookie. But mm -hmm. he built that thing by being better than everybody else. And, and that's true of our – and those are living people today. We can talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. and, and so every event, everything we ever do leaves some kind of mark behind. Sometimes it's a stain if it's something tragic and horrible. Sometimes it's a scar if it's something that healed and we moved on from, but we still feel the bumpy scar. Or sometimes it's, it's something glorious, some, some work, whether it's a, a life's work like an athlete or an artist or a song or a book or a play or a movie or, or just a great family, you know, that, that you left behind. You know, it doesn't have to be something so grandiose. And that's, 
that's to me is, is the, the greatest moral of the story of chasing these haunts is that you really start to think about the legacy you want to leave behind. Most ghosts that I've ever chased, most of the stories I hear, sure, some are scary or some are frightening because you don't expect it to be there. Most of them are actually quite touching. It's usually mm -hmm. a loved one. It's usually someone that you cared about and you get that closure or that goodbye. You feel like you never got in life. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so many good points there. In terms of just those those physical people who are, you know, like you said, living legends before, like those athletes to where they just have that larger than life aura to them to maybe after they passed on, you know, still their story being told or the just little subtle moments like my light switch turning on or just little interactions like that to where they're in a sense, you know, still alive or still interacting or their story is still being told and we just kind of these just the constant culminating experiences that constantly keep shifting and shifting who we are and we're just constantly evolving and it's oh my gosh i could talk all day about this kind of stuff but no your uh your story in particular with kilimanjaro reminded me of a previous guest i actually had on this podcast who made a documentary called it seems like magic but it's science where a group of 10 individuals three with parkinson's disease made their way to mount everest base camp to raise funds and awareness for a sour replacement project that could end the symptoms of parkinson's so very yeah. powerful story in there as well and the funniest thing about that is his name was also jeff so what a weird coincidence there <laughs> yeah no and I, I love so so mountains too like it's the ultimate metaphor anything can mm -hmm. be a mountain curing parkinson's that's a mountain boy that's a yeah. mountain bigger than everest easily but there's the mountains that are in our path because that's how life is and that uh, that could be like you lost your job uh you lost a loved one you you got in an accident and you have to heal from it or, or walk again whatever it is but then there's the mountains that we choose to put in front of us you know the ones yeah. that we say like all right this is going to be challenging and i'm intentionally going to put it in front of me and attempt to do this thing and those are infinitely more interesting to me because mm -hmm. you're you're choosing to challenge yourself and that forces you to grow and and evolve and and be a better person and we should do that all the time. We should always be looking for the next mountain. In in my case Kilimanjaro was literal, but there's other ones. Writing the book about Kilimanjaro was another mountain to climb, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. it's not that easy to write a book if anyone's wondering, go ahead and try it <laughs> if you don't want to take my word for it, you know. Right. Um, so it's it's a uh, it's it's another thing you just you just want to do it because you got something to say. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, Again, it comes back to story. I love the parallel you just drew of the the physical obstacles, the mountain in front of you, whether it be a physical mountain or just a metaphorical one you placed in front of you, some sort of challenge or obstacle you strategically put there to try to better yourself, to try to to push the envelope, to grow, to learn, to move forward. And all of that's just so fascinating to me. And that's really what I try to touch on with, with this platform in particular as well. The, the power of storytelling, the, the power of, of travel, whether it's, you know, or, and just grow, the growth that comes from it, whether it's a physical trip that you took or just some sort of venture or pathway that led you to a mind shift, uh, some sort of evolutionary shift of the way that you perceive the world, the way that you think just in your everyday life. And there's, there's so much power to all that and i do truly feel like they're all interconnected like what we've just been talking about and oh my gosh I, I could talk all day about this kind of stuff but um geez i guess just looking at and just kind of wrapping up with final thoughts and stuff like that uh do you currently have any upcoming events or projects in the works that you're really excited about in particular so i mean ghost adventures has been ongoing <laughs> since 2008 <laughs> and so we're working on new seasons of that which is great filming again next week you know and then um new england legends season two we're working on that which will come out in the fall and the new england legends podcast is every single week we've been doing that for almost five years and then um i've got story nights where i, I share my experiences uh in front of live audiences sometimes they're on zoom 
but all of them are on my website. And I've got like in the fall, I do a, a fall story tour where there's 31 days in October. I'm typically out 28, 29 of them, you know, doing doing something somewhere, which I love. I absolutely adore it. It's exhausting, but but I love connecting with live audiences. It's my, my favorite thing to do. So always something going on because that's how I feed my family. <laughs> you definitely stay busy, that's for sure. And yeah, and I'll definitely plug all this in the show notes so listeners will get a chance to check out all the exciting things you have in the works. Before we get into plugs, is there anything I forgot to ask about that you wanted to touch on or anything like that? You didn't ask one question about my, my salsa recipe. Oh, um, man. See, that's what I missed. <laughs> yeah. Offended is probably too strong a word, but you know, I guess you got to leave them wanting more, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, where can people find more information about yourself, your books, uh, New England Legends, and anything else you want to plug? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, um, New England Legends, the, the show is on Amazon Prime. If you're a Prime member, it's free. The podcast is wherever you get your podcasts. There, It's available everywhere, and that's also free. And my books are on Amazon or wherever you buy your books, including Call of Kilimanjaro, and it's also available as an ebook if you prefer it that way. Full-color uh, photos, too, which is, it's a really, it's all, and I took all the photos in it, which it was a really um, beautiful place to see. And you can find out on my website, which is my name, jeffbelanger.com. And from there, you can also find me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much. And yeah, like I said, I'll make sure to plug all this information in the show notes once the episode gets released. But yeah, once again, thank you so much for taking the time for this. I've, I've always had such a fascination in the paranormal world and the unexplained for as long as I can remember. So I always love talking about any of this stuff or, or just the power, you know, just storytelling in general, any of those conversations revolve around that. Just I, I just eat them up completely. And <laughs> I think your resume is certainly impressive. And I've been loving listening to the New England Legends podcast, watching the New England Legends series, watching Ghost Adventures. That's pretty much part of my nightly routine. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, I, yeah, definitely. And I definitely want to give a big shout out to Walt at Walt's Kitchen Table podcast for getting us connected because this conversation may have never happened otherwise. So that's another I guess random coincidence or interaction culminating experience that I guess manifested into something else. So I guess we're going full circle with that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you all. Yeah, definitely. So, oh gosh, Jeff, I wish you nothing but the best in all of your future projects and had an absolute blast with this conversation. Thank you, Eric. Great talking to you. Yeah, for sure. You have a good rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to Jeff's website, his latest book, The Call of Kilimanjaro, and other resources can be found in the show notes. I unfortunately didn't get any salsa recipes, though. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for Juxtapose Journeys wherever you stream your podcasts, and maybe tell a friend or two about the show. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated, and helps the show reach more listeners. It also keeps new episodes coming out. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposejourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtaposed Journeys on Podmatch and request an interview that way. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner. And music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing for this episode was done by Kai Will. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly. Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring. <laughs>